Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Charity Strap Commentary. I'm your host for today, Trey Hill, and today we're actually doing something a little different. I had the chance to interview James Powright, a Charlotte Hornets fan who covers the team over at, at the Hive, and we kind of we looked at the first game they had against the Pacers, the uh, the huge 28 to two run that the Hornets had, and how they were able to sneak out a win. We also kind of break down what we think the Hornets are going to need to do to be successful, where they're going to come up short in the games that they lose, and just kind of a little Hornets overview now that we've seen the team together as a whole. So James really knows his stuff. I think you're going to really enjoy listening to him talk, and you're going to learn a lot about the Hornets. He's been covering them for 15 years. You'll hear him talk all about it. But, yeah, just have a listen and enjoy. Here with the interview with James Plowright, who covers the Hornets at it is at the Hive, correct? That is right. Yeah. Uh, all right, James. Why don't you go ahead and uh, you know the podcast deal? Do the uh, do the plugs, do the spiel, tell everybody where to follow you at, do the whole thing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Th- thanks, Trey, and thanks thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk some Hornets basketball. Yeah. So um, you can find me on Twitter at British underscore Buzz. Um, hint, hint. You can tell where I'm from. Um, been covering the Hornets on and off for 15 years, really. I mean, following the team for 15 years, but kind of writing and podcasting about them for on and off over that time. And uh, currently writing and podcasting for At The Hive. So if you if you go on your podcast app, you'll be able, f- able to find us at The Hive live, which is currently on, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And just, yeah, any of the work over on the SB Nation site. Um, and, and if not, you'll find me on Twitter. So uh, yeah, if anyone wants to kind of, see a little bit more Hornets content on the timeline, follow it. It's, it's an exciting team right now. Um, please give us a follow uh, and I look forward to engaging with you. It, we just, I, I personally, I was a big Lamella Ball fan coming into the draft. I had him number one on my board. It was a big part of the podcast was how high I was on Lamella Ball. So last year was kind of my first year. Kind of, they were like the team I adopted. Uh, I'm a Bulls fan. It didn't go so well. It didn't go so well for me last year. So having the Hornets to root for was nice. And we really kind of followed them on Charity Stripe last year. So we've really been looking forward to uh, the growth from LaMelo. And the first game of the Hornets season was the second best game of opening night, of the opening slate, I think, with other than Celtics Knicks. What did you see from Charlotte that you expected to see? What did you see that kind of surprised you? And my big question is, what do you think about the center position? Oh, lots to unpack there. So uh, what did I see that I expected to see? Um, slow start was definitely expected. Like for, I understand people don't follow who plays and who doesn't in preseason, but essentially the Hornets basically only had their team for one preseason game, which was their first game against OKC. After that, Gordon Hayward and Miles Plumlee were both in health and safety protocol. Kelly Oubre missed all the rest of preseason with an ankle injury. Terry Zier missed the rest of preseason with an ankle injury. Miles Bridges missed basically a whole game with a sprained knee. PJ Washington missed a whole game with a dodgy finger, not a whole game, but like half a game. So it was just like a catalog of injuries. And when you're going to have that, like this team had just not played together anyway near as much as teams normally do. So straight away coming into the Indiana game, I wasn't that hopeful of, of them playing well. For me, it was really like an, another preseason game. And if they came out with a win, it was 
it was a huge benefit. But that slow start, I mean, the, the, the context here is also the last team the Hornets played was Indiana in the playing tournament last year and got smoked. I, I forgot mean, about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was, I mean, you probably will have watched it if you followed the team last year. It was as big a smoking as you'll see in like in a high stakes NBA game. They lost by yeah, like it was, Oh, it was brutal to watch. I I I like I just completely forgotten that that was the last team they played. Yeah. Uh, there were there were multiple times in that game where PJ Washington and Miles Bridges ran into each other, fell over, and the Pacers got a layup. And so the team came into this game like with a with a real sense of wanting to get some revenge here. Uh, it was a, something you heard mentioned throughout summer was that Indiana game was the motivation on those hard days and those long summer days when you're doing your skills training. Like first game up is Indiana, we want to do it. So I still thought it was going to be a tall ask. Indiana were missing guys as well. Let's not forget they're missing Warren, Levert. Um, but yeah, so the slow start didn't surprise me. Well, what did my, surprise... Let me, can I interject just for uh, something that didn't surprise me? I wanted to throw some positivity out there. Uh, we, we thought Mason Plumlee was going to be great creating from the center position so seeing him get five assists I thought was I think that's going to be really helpful for helping the Hornets offense flow uh did you did you notice any of his playmaking at all compared to uh Zellers and Biombo that they've had previously do you think that's something that might help unlock the offense a little bit yeah absolutely I mean the Hornets haven't had anyone as talented with like the ball in their hands out like a dribble handoff situation. It's probably since like Josh McRoberts was like the last guy who was like, you know, good. Like you didn't know what he was going to do. He can like do more than just a basic like handoff. He can actually throw some passes and Plumlee even brought the ball up the court a couple of times. So, I mean, he, he had a bit of a, well, he had a really rough game in the first half. He actually got booed. But in the first quarter of the game, <laughs> about he was getting... starting five for five did not uh, did not help uh, <laughs> yeah. ingratiate him to the fans. No, it did not, and I think he airballed a free throw as well. And at that point, people had had enough pretty quickly. But um, like it was weird. You watch the game last night, and you think, "Oh, Plumlee's really struggling here." And then you actually look at stat line; it's like eight points, ten rebounds, five assists, one block. And I don't think one of our centers had a stat line like that at all last all of last season and he did rebound in that in that second half and remember like i said this was his first game essentially of preseason because apart from that okay of the season because that okc game because they missed all the time in covid protocol couldn't work out either so yeah i definitely think Plumley gives this team a really solid big like cody zeller would have nights where he looked like this in some ways but then he'd have like three nights in a row where he did nothing and it was just he always played with the effort but he just didn't always have the consistency in terms of performing at the same level. And I think what we're going to get from Plumlee, and you saw it last year with Detroit, you're going to get a pretty consistent presence night in, night out. Before I interjected, you were getting ready to tell me what did surprise you about the Hornets last night. Yeah. Uh, no, James Bucknight in the rotation. That surprised me. Um, was the leading scorer in preseason. Not that means anything, but... It's, you know, he, he showed some real, in summer league, he showed some stuff in preseason, he played well. And with Terry Rozier out, like, if there's any night he's going to get minutes, it's going to be tonight. And at first, I thought Cody Martin was going to start. And, like, Ubre would play some backup minutes, because, again, Ubre missed most of preseason. But straight away, Ubre into the starting lineup. Cody Martin, he played well off the bench. And Buck Knight didn't see the floor. Now, this isn't any 
big red flag. I saw some Magic fans on Twitter last night um, saying how Franz Wagner is now starting in the NBA and Buck Knight can't get off the bench. So all the Magic fans need to apologize uh, for bashing the Wagner pick, which I did. I was like, I'm not even going to bite on that. I almost retweeted it and like quoted it. I was like, I'm, it's such a stupid point. It's not even worth my time. Yeah, that was actually the uh, the surprise I had. So you stole that one for me. You're right. It preseason success isn't necessarily an indicator, but uh, in Chicago, I'm a Bulls fan. So we saw Io. He he had a lot of success scoring the ball, and when the Bulls were struggling to score, he got inserted to the game and he got seven points in his debut. He had two nice layups and a corner three. I really thought Book Knight was going to find some run, like you said, without Rozier out there. So. If he can't be my surprise, my I'll, I'll stay positive. Ish Smith, I thought, played pretty well in oh. his backup minutes. He he was excellent at uh, getting the pace, making sure that uh, the Hornets were getting out in transition, just moving the ball. Uh, he had a great note, like uh, he looked off the pass to a – I can't even remember who was cutting to the basket, but it was just an absolute dime. I thought he played exceptionally well for the Hornets last night. I could not agree anymore. I mean – he did most of his damage in the first half. And without Ish Smith, I, I think they were down by like, what, 15, 16 at the half. Without Ish Smith, it would have been 20, 25. Like he kept the team in the game at times. Um, Indiana could not get near him. He was just scoring around the rim in the mid-range. Just absolutely, like, I think especially with like Sabonis and Turner, the mid-range is kind of that area they both struggled to guard, right? Because they can't just stay back in the paint and be big. And, like, you know, you can get taken off the perimeter Sabonis, especially like at times, if Smith was just searching with Sabonis matchup and he knew Sabonis had to give him so much room that he could just pull up from the mid range. And he played really well. He got the second unit going, which again, with, with Ubre being in that starting lineup, McDaniels, Cody Martin, PJ Washington, that is not the most skilled kind of a scoring backup unit. Like that was one thing we looked at out there. Like none of them, apart from, none of them are like natural scorers. If you describe any of those players, you don't say, oh, he can score the ball. Like it's the first thing. It's like the second, third, fourth thing. So I think Ish Smith played exceptionally well. And it was a big worry for Charlotte fans because we've been blessed to have Devontae Graham as essentially the, the backup last year. Um, he was fantastic. The year before he was then kind of backing up and Terry Rozier were both playing backup point guard a bit. And before that, the catalog of Hornets backups between... Sharon Collins, Ramon Sessions, Brian Roberts, Michael Carter Williams. It was just like rotating through disappointing guys, apart from one Jeremy Lin season. And Ish Smith coming off a good year, even though he's 33, he played exceptionally well. And I, he's not going to be like that every night, but if he can just give the team competent backup play, that's big because you, you can never guarantee that. Like backup point guards, pretty volatile in their year-to-year performance. You see Delam Wright has great years, down years. Same with Tyus Jones. Like, so if we can get a good Smith year, that would mean a lot for this team. You mentioned uh, Rogier was out, and earlier we mentioned Sabonis starting five for five. The, the Pacers shot 81% at the rim, but they only took 26% of their shots at the rim. So that kind of – the stats backed up what I saw whenever I was watching. It seemed like any time the Pacers were shooting at the rim – that it was going in, but the Hornets did, it was that controlled chaos. They, they played with so much effort and they were rotating properly and they were just kind of keeping the shots away from the rim and then just contesting out to the three-point line. 
when Rozier comes back in and you don't have Ubre in the starting lineup and you lose some of that quickness, the defensive ability and that length, do you think that's still something that Charlotte's going to – do you think Charlotte will still be able to keep people out of the paint and taking advantage of that lack of size, or do you think that's going to be kind of their Achilles heel going forward? Yeah, I think it'll be their Achilles heel. Um, the whole defensive scheme is – well – is based around trying to keep people outside of the, out of the paint because they just, we don't have the rim protector, like you say, to channel them like Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers have. Um, there's a lot of jokes going around on NBA Twitter last night, Hornets Twitter saying that, that now the Hornets beat the Pacers, they need to give us Miles Turner, um, which would be great. Um, but yeah, I think like last year, the Hornets somehow finished 21st in defense according to Cleaning the Glass despite like letting opponents shoot a high volume of threes at a high percentage and the opponents shot a really high percentage at the rim. And it was kind of like unbelievable that they actually managed to have a good defense with that this year. There will absolutely be the priority is like, we've got length now generally, like I know Rozier, like even he's got a good size wingspan. Lamello's got good size, good wingspan. The, the strength this team will have is the closeouts because of the size and the length they've got more so than the size and the rim protection inside. And that's where the weak. So absolutely the game plan will be switch, keep people out the paint at all regards. And if people hit a bunch of threes against us, then that's, that's fair enough. And the nights where people aren't hitting threes are the nights they're going to get the wins. Um, I don't think they'll be as effective as they probably were in the second half last night. Um, I, I also think Indiana really let themselves down. They got really sloppy. They were turning the ball over. And this is the other thing with this Hornets defense once you get like into the half court setting, they're going to struggle, but they're going to turn you over. They're going to hassle you. They're going to press you full court. They're just going to be disruptive generally. But after that, they're probably going to struggle to rebound and protect the rim. But it's all those kind of other little bit of those small areas, those extra efforts where they make up for what they lack in, in size on the interior um, and rebounding as well. I, I feel like LaMelo ball kind of really spearheads that on the defensive end, whenever he's, guarding out on the perimeter he's he's always trying to jump passing lanes he's always going for the seals and a lot of the times it gets him out of position and you, you see him do something and you're like oh man I wish you would have just stayed there so that guy wouldn't have had that driving lane but that energy is infectious and see as seeing all the rest of the guys flying around out to the three-point line I think as long as they can keep challenging the way they were they they'll be more successful than I thought they were going to be coming into the season. I love what Melo brings on the defensive end. And when he gets those deflections and he gets those steals and they get out running, that's when the Hornets were most effective last night. Like I looked at the stats trying to figure out how the Hornets won this game. Because like, like I said earlier, the, the Pacers shot 81% at the rim. They were able to shoot 37% from three. There was just so many stats where it looked like, how did they pull this off? And then I found the transition stats. Yeah. The Hornets had 10 more fast break points, but they also had 10 more fast break or 10 more transition possessions. They just had a, a lot more opportunities in transition. And the points per possession on transition, the Hornets had 1.23. The Pacers were only at 0.88. So the Hornets were getting out in transition and making those opportunities count, whereas the Pacers were doing the opposite. Absolutely. I mean, if you just look at the personnel on each team, it's, you know, you've got Bridges, Ubre, like those guys can run the floor, get up and down, Lamelo. If you look at the paces, Sabonis, Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, like guys, 
very different, like how they want to get their points. And there was a point in the first quarter where the Hornets got out in transition off a, an Indiana make, which if, you know, if you make the basket, the coach, that's essentially code for, there is no reason that you should be slow getting back on defense because the team have to take the ball, take it out and then pass it in. It's not like a long rebound and they can just leak out. And Rick Carlisle just called timeout straight away because you know, he was like, we're playing against the Charlotte Hornets. We just got beat down the floor when we made a basket. That is unacceptable. And if we do that, we're going to put ourselves into trouble. And and they did. Um, this Charlotte team are going to get out and run against anyone. They've got the athletes to do it. Even the guys that they've drafted, likes like Kai Jones, like this is another thing that he's going to absolutely excel at. If I don't think we'll see much of it this year, but going down the line, um, you can already see that kind of speed and down the core and his athleticism, which just really fits to what this team wants to do. And you've then got Gordon Hayward, who's the half-court playmaker. Everything down the stretch of this game was going through Gordon Hayward, get him on a pin down, get him on a post-it, get him isolated on the wing. Like So there's a, there's essentially like two versions of this team. And some people are going to be like, well, Hayward doesn't fit in this running gun style. But in the half court, I'm telling you, he's the only guy like you can kind of give it to him and you can play through him and off him, um, which I just think this team needs a bit of yin and yang. It needs that balance. Uh, but yeah, the, the transition play last night, I was actually disappointed they didn't get out more because that was something that we saw in preseason. And a couple of those makes were like, at one point, Lamelo was down injured under the basket and he just never got back in defense. So he scored. Yeah. That happened like a couple of times. Um, but I, you know, they actually did a pretty good job overall getting back in transition. We didn't have any like of the Lamelo full court underarm passes from last year, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to see in the next week or so. Though we did have one uh, Ish Smith football throw for a dunk that I saw. Uh, I think it was towards the start of the third quarter. Very or true. Right, when he, Very right true. when he first came in in the third quarter, and I saw it, and I was like, he's been playing with Lamelo. Was what I thought. It, um, you you mentioned Hayward being a great compliment to Lamelo. I'm not in the the Hornets universe like you are, so it's really surprising to me that people think that Gordon Hayward's not a good fit with Lamelo. I like you look at all of Gordon Hayward's stats. He does every he does everything exceptionally well. Like he's just a great basketball player who can complement any role, like anything you need, and. I like with Miles Bridges, with Ubre, with Kai Jones. I and Lamelo, Lamelo gets out in transition too. He likes to run. I feel like Hayward's in a great position. Him and Rogier to just kind of be like the old heads who let those guys run, and then they come up with the in those secondary break opportunities, initiate the offense, and then just get things going. Yeah, absolutely, and and probably I mean there's there's a couple of reasons. One, one is just the optics, right? Like Gordon Hayward doesn't score in like. I think they're really cool ways with like these, you know, double pivots and turning into the paint and sometimes like these fadeaways and pump fakes and spins. But like when you talk about alley-oops and even though, I mean, he did have a big dunk actually last night, but he doesn't get out and score in the same way that Bridges do. And, and the other thing the is the same just, Q rating for the 13-year-olds as Bridges and Lamelo. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is just the, the age, because of his age, because of his injury history, you know what he's very different place in his career to almost every other player on the roster. And I don't think having diversity is a bad thing, but a lot of people do like a lot of people like NBA GMs, the dream is to have like all 15 guys between the age of 
19 and 24 and that you sign them all for five years, they grow up together and they played together and they win a championship together. And in reality, that just very, very rarely happens. The Thunder probably were the only ones who had like a shot with the Harden, Durant, Westbrook teams. Um, but the majority of teams, you, you need a diversification of, of kind of skill level and approach. Um, but yeah, it's it doesn't surprise me. Like I was a, I was very anti the Hayward contract when it was signed. Part of me was thinking because I didn't think the team were going to be in a position to compete during that contract, but Lamella has changed essentially the trajectory for the team. He's now I can understand it more. Yeah, he definitely accelerated the timeline there. Yeah. Um, I think Lamelo for the Hornets to reach their peak, Lamelo is the cl- the guy who's going to step up and be the number one option. But Gordon is a great guy to do that while Lamelo is yep. ascending into that role. Absolutely. Um, so and, and oh, I will ahead. say last night's game wasn't perfect from Lamelo. Like I know it's a great stat line, but. Like he's not going to shoot seven from nine from three every every night. Like he, he in preseason, he actually struggled with a shot for majority of preseason. Um, he, and he outside, also banked one of one of those threes in. It definitely did not look like it meant to go in. No, absolutely not. And outside of that, he shot four for fourteen last night, um, which is not ideal, and, and struggled in the paint at times with some turnovers and some blocked shots. So, I I think you know there's still there's still area for, for him to grow here I and like in preseason he actually showed really good kind of mid-range scoring much better than last year and we didn't see that last night but um th- this there's still meat to cut off the bone with Melo it's not like he played the complete game last night um he had a great shooting night but he's still got to improve his his ability to his, his in-between scoring and some of his finishing at the rim as well so you got to watch a game big sample size I know um <laughs> Hornets, are they a playoff team? Are they a play-in team? Are they a lottery team? Oh, um, I, the, full the safest answer. I, I had them right outside of the play-in. I had them, I think, 11th or 12th. I'm not sure, but I think I might have them in the play-in because I was really high on the Raptors and I'm already selling that stock. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the safest bet there... If you you've probably got the short odds of being a play-in team, somewhere between seven and eleven, sorry, no, seven and ten. I can't count. Um, seven and ten, um, and the way I've described it during in the preseason, when people ask me for my opinion, the season will fall into three categories. If they're better than the sixth seed, it's an exceptional season. If they're outside of the play-in, I think it's a bit of a letdown of a season. And if they're in the play-in, it's probably around. Like it's it's fair game, you know, between seven and ten, and I I think those teams are going to be so close together that at the, towards the bottom of the East, I hate to say this, but I really do think it's going to come down to a lot of injury luck. Um, Charlotte didn't get it last year. Teams like New York really did. They barely had any guys who missed any time apart from Mitchell Robinson. Um, so I, I have no feel for this whatsoever. I was kind of. After after the preseason moves happen, sorry, after the f- kind of offseason moves happened, I was like, oh, I think they'll be kind of a, just outside the playing over summer. I kind of heard a little bit more about the, some of the things were going, how certain players were looking in the summer in the workouts and got me a little bit excited. Preseason tempered my expectations again. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I've always kind of said, 
if they can make the play-in, that's a successful season. Even though they did that last year, you can see that stagnating. All the teams around them got better. They didn't mortgage the future at all this summer. They didn't go and throw huge money at, you know, to block up their cap sheet for the next few years at Rashawn Holmes. That was that, you know, they've said this before. Mitch Kupchak said it in his media availability yesterday before the game. They want to balance competing and developing at the same time. They, they're going to they're build the plane as they fly it. And that's not always easy to do in the NBA. It's, it's a bit nuanced. You either, you either go for it or you suck. That's how like the NBA works in a lot of people's eyes. They're trying to pull this kind of middle line, which is why I think it's harder to put a kind of a, a, a win projection out there. Do, do the Hornets have their first round picks in the next coming years? I don't remember them trading them away. So, um, yes and no. Uh, they lose their first round pick to New York next year as part of the Kai Jones trade. Oh, if that's right. It is top 18 protected. So pre- pretty much going to have it next year. I then think it drops down to like top 16. And then eventually in like three or four years, it goes down to lottery protected. So, so my, my point with that, asking that was to get to the next point. The lottery odds used to be significantly weighted towards those top three teams. Ever since they've smoothed out the lottery odds, I feel like the NBA landscape is – I don't think the fans and the, the media aspect necessarily is caught up as much to where there's more middle-of-the-pack teams. Yeah, but I, agree. I Great I, point. I feel, I feel like it's, it's becoming much more accepted, especially if you can get that top four protected pick. Because if it's top four protected, if you move up in the lottery – you get to keep it. So if the if the Hornets would say miss the miss the playoffs and get a little lottery luck because they have significantly better odds now than they did six or seven years ago, move up to that four spot and get another get another player. That's that's not something to shrug your shoulders at. And I think that middle of the road avenue is something that a lot of teams are looking at more and more. Is is really what I was getting at. It's a really great point. And I think there has been a shift in recent years um, because teams realize that they don't have to go all out to suck and they still got a chance to improve the team. Um, I think the Hornets, or not the Hornets, the uh, the Thunder lost, what, like three or four spots last year in the lottery? They they dropped down. Yeah, yeah they got as lucky as you can get last year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think like even if the Hornets were to drop into, I don't know, late lottery again, I don't know how much another late lottery guy, depending who it is, helps them. Like, I think one thing they'd start to look at is, well, if we package this late lottery pick and a future first or and a young veteran, which we've got, we can go get a a vet. We can go get a higher pick in the lottery. Like if you did PJ Washington plus the 10th pick in 2022, like, where does that move you? So I think I think there's a lot of options now. There's no real holes in this roster. The center position is is the biggest one. It's not a it's not a chasm. It's just weak. Right. Um, they've still got young guys there. Kai Jones, Nick Richards has shown some stuff in preseason. Uh, Vernon Carey, if he, if he's your kind of guy, I don't think he's the Hornets kind of guy right now. Um, that, I think that's the obvious position. But you, you're not really going to get a a game-changing center outside of the top six, eight, really. Like, on Yeko Kong, we want to see the sixth pick to Atlanta. And, like, even he, like, he's, he's perfectly fine and he'll be a, a perfectly respectable starting player. But he's not changing what you are as a team, really, I don't think. 
Um, not right away anyway. No, no. So I, I think, you know, you need to be getting into the, the top five, top six category to be able to draft a center who you think can impact straight away. But even that's not a guarantee. Look at James Wiseman, uh, Marvin Bagley. And I know he's not a center, but guys who think are going to come in and make an impact straight away and, and haven't been able to do that. I think that the big man position definitely takes longer to develop and acclimatize the NBA game than guards and wings. I think it's a lot simpler game for those people. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think the, the draft centers is a challenge. Uh, that wraps up about everything I have for you on the Hornets. Um, anything else around around the league that stuck out to you that you just kind of enjoyed, but you ha- you didn't have a chance to shout out yet or anything before I let you go? What? Two things. One, I really didn't enjoy this one, but Chris Duarte in this game. I mean, you might not have enjoyed man. it this this time, but it, you're going to enjoy watching it the rest of the time. It was it, he was fantastic. Oh my god, I was petrified like of it, and I I was a big Duarte guy in the draft. I really liked him. I also liked Davion Mitchell as well. Which you know, if you like the two old guys, you get squinted out by by draft nerds, um, but. Like, it was great to see him doing it. I just wish it wasn't against us. But, I mean, he was – I mean, he played well. He's been good throughout preseason, summer league. Like, every single NBA minute he's played so far, he's proven he can start right away. And I think it really changes what the Pacers can look to do with the likes of – I know they're missing Levert and Warren, but if he plays well, that maybe frees them up to, to move them on at some point uh, in a package. And the other one is John Morant. I think John Morant – I watched him uh, in the preseason against Charlotte. He was special. I was watching, I didn't watch the whole game, but I saw some of the clips of him from the Memphis game against the Cavs. And oh my God, defensively, offensively, like he had an insane block. I can't remember who it was on. I think it was on like a- Uh, It was a big, it was a seven footer. I don't remember. He was like Larry, I think it was Larry Markinen. So he just got up and like rejected it with his offhand. And then was like- like this absolutely insane that, that, alley-oop jumping yeah, over alley-oop. someone at the end as well. I mean, and like, let's not, he also led his team to a good win over Cleveland as well. So I think John Morant was, was special. And I'm, I'm really excited to see him break out further this year and see that Memphis team do some damage. Cause I, I love, I, I, I view Memphis as a bit like Charlotte West. They're kind of balancing that middle ground a little bit like Charlotte have got that one lead guy and, in Ja Morant and then lots of interesting pieces around that with the, the Tillmans and Jackson juniors, etc. So um, yeah, I'm really interested to see how that Memphis team plays this year. I was super impressed with them when I saw them in preseason and, and Ja Morant just looks like he's going to, he's going to take over this year. I really liked the, you talking about Duarte and you said he scared you. That that's the real test of a good quality shooter to me is if the when when the guy is shooting if the other team's fans are like no please don't do this to me anymore mm-hmm. I I think Duarte is just gonna he's just gonna be great and Valanciunas was fantastic for Memphis last year but I think him being out of the getting his usage out of the way uh, the way he would clog up the paint somewhat I think that might help John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr.'s numbers and uh, maybe highlights go up a little bit. And like you said, Memphis is just, they're, um, they're going to be great to watch grow. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on and talking some, some Hornets specialty. I, I'm really excited. I just moved to Charlotte. So I'm going to try and catch a few Hornets games this year. Oh, awesome. Uh, 
they are my they're my new adopted team. I'm I'm a Bulls fan at heart, but I'm now also a Hornets fan. So. Well, we, we, we've got some time to turn you here. Are you in Charlotte for the long haul now? Have you moved yeah. to work? or No, for the long, for the long haul. Uh, the wife wanted to move out this way. She's from here. She lived here when she was younger. She wanted to come back. So they've got a football team. They've got a basketball team. I'm sold. Uh, go yeah, ahead and plug, I mean, plug your I, stuff I, before you leave too, though. Yeah, no, oh, I, I actually... I went out to Charlotte um, for the first time and visited uh, out in Asheville as well. I spent some time out there um, in the, the Christmas before the pandemic hit. And um, like I was only there for five, six days in total, but love the people. I mean, the, the Hornets fan base, obviously, if you only just moved, I'm sure you'll get to know them. But like there's some really great characters in Charlotte. And the, the big thing that sticks out to me is like, no one has any egos. Everyone is just super friendly. The organization themselves, super friendly. The staff there, like the staff who work for them, both in the arena and the team staff themselves are kind of like pretty open and easy to talk to. It's, it's a much like friendlier atmosphere, like local team than from what I understand you get some of the, the bigger markets. So um, yeah, I'm sure you're going to enjoy and get, and following the team this year and engaging with some Hornets fans. And uh, yeah, I'm, exci- I'm excited for you to be able to go see Lamelo in person. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh, go ahead and plug your stuff one more time here at the end, just because I like to do plugs at the beginning and the end. If I don't do it, the, the OCD in my head's just going to go crazy. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter at British underscore buzz, um, or you can read my stuff over at the Hive, uh, Charlotte Hornets SB Nation website, or you'll hear me probably a couple of times a week on the At The Hive live podcast. Um, and you're able to find that where, wherever you find your podcasts. All right. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Trey.